Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Joe. I uh, help out at the 11am congregation here at St. Michael's. When I was in Kenya, I worked in Korogosho slum on the edge of Nairobi. I saw many groups trying to help people in those slums. Shiru, a friend of mine, she was helping girls under 10 escape prostitution. Mary Mathoney, she put girls into high schools and taught them about Jesus. Many groups tried to help girls and women in the slums by giving them skills like sewing or simply providing sanitary napkins so they could stay at school each month. But I don't think I ever saw a group that wanted to help young men. And it seems that somehow built into us men is to be provider and protector. But in such poverty, there seemed no hope for that for these young men. The young men had little resources to provide for themselves, let alone a wife and children. I saw many such men with emptiness deep inside themselves. Drugs and alcohol and sniffing petrol were better than waking up to such hopelessness. But if you were from the Kikuyu tribe, you could join the Mungiki. Maybe you would be forced to join them. You then belong to something very big and very powerful. The Mungiki were ruthless, violent gangs. On the surface, They were traditional Kikuyu religion that wanted to go back to their roots, traditional African and Kikuyu ways of life. Mungiki means the many, the big group, which hints at being dominant and powerful. And they were involved in extortions and killings and terrible things. And they had strict rules among themselves such as alcohol, was only allowed in special ceremonies. Two men I knew in Koch, not youths, but older men, leaders of the Mungiki, went out drinking together one weekend, against Mungiki rules. Members found out and beat them up. They beat one of them to death, the other survived but took weeks to recover. Another rule was not to wear underpants, No undies allowed, because they're not traditional clothing. Not wearing underpants was not a visible sign, but it became a key symbol of the group. So much so that if the police wanted to round up the Mungiki, they would go to an area like Korogosho, they would get all the young men, line them up, and get them to take down their pants. Any of them that had underwear could go. Any that didn't were shot or arrested. The Mungiki didn't get arrested because they didn't have underpants. They got arrested for what the sign meant. It meant that violence was a part of their lives. All of us belong to groups, maybe many groups, that are a part of us and perhaps somehow define us and separate us from others. From them, I'm white. Them, they're darker. I'm educated middle class. They're ignorant and uneducated. 
I'm from Australia. They're from undemocratic, controlling dictatorships. I follow rugby. They have that silly round ball. Some differences are big, some not so big. But it seems there is always an us and a them. In first century Judah, what separated us from them? The big issue was being a Jew or not. And the sign of belonging was circumcision. That was a pretty private and personal sign. I doubt the Romans ever uh, needed to pull down their people's pants to find out if they were Jewish or not. But it does seem that everybody knew about this sign. Even people in Ephesus that Paul was writing to a thousand miles from Jerusalem. The sign of circumcision meant something huge. It separated humanity into two groups, into those who belonged to God and those who were far from him. Circumcised meant belonging to God's people. Not circumcised meant not belonging. This is where Paul starts in this section of Ephesians. Chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Paul wants them as people made alive in Christ who are already raised, already sitting with him in the heavenlies, to remember it was not always like this. Let's read verse 11 together. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands... Paul is telling them, remember, you were Gentiles, which means nations other than Judah. And you were uncircumcised. Paul actually says, you were foreskin. That's what the Jews called them. It sounds like a put down, and I'm sure it was. The Jews looked down on the other nations. It's a pretty private and personal way to be defined. The sign of circumcision had no power in itself, Paul says. It's only something done by human hands. But it signified something really powerful, whether you were with God's people or not. Now, not all circumcised Jews were saved and would spend eternity with God. But all were a part of God's people here on earth which meant at least the possibility of eternal life with God. But if you still had foreskin, it was a sign that you had no chance at all of being with God in any way. Verse 12, Paul again says, Remember, remember what being separate, what being from the other nations meant. It meant being separated, excluded, foreigners, hopeless and godless. Paul wants them to remember that they didn't belong with God's or God's people before, but now they are sitting with God in heaven itself because they're in Christ. Paul says, remember where you used to be, remember how far you've come. Verse 13 is the summary verse of this whole section. You get this verse, you've got what this part is about. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus changes 
everything. In Christ Jesus they are no longer far away but have been brought near. Jesus has moved them a long, long way. No longer without God, no longer without hope. They are no longer far from God. And verses 14 to 18 gives us details of the great shift that Jesus caused in them. Verse 14, Jesus is our peace because he has destroyed the hostility dividing us. At the end of 15, Jesus made peace and in 16, Jesus put to death the hostility. Verse 17, Jesus preached peace to the world. Jesus is our peace. He made peace. He taught the only true peace between all people and between God and people. These two repeated words, peace and hostility, they're the language when you're talking about war. There's a famous photo and a short video of the streets of Sydney at the end of World War II. A man dances with delight because peace has been declared, war is over, hostilities have ceased. It's not just him, but everyone is delighted because the war has ended. The hostility with Germany and Japan has been destroyed. There was now peace after six years of hostility. There are stories of soldiers in remote places who didn't hear of the peace and who kept fighting. For years, some of them for decades. One Japanese soldier in the Philippine jungle didn't hear at the end of the war, uh, which happened in 1945. 29 years later, in 1974, he was still at war, still killing people. He'd killed 30 from a local village. He would not believe the war was over, no matter what people shouted at him, no matter what leaflets they dropped on him. In the end, they had to get his former army commander, dress him up in his old uniform, fly him from Japan to the Philippines, send him out into the jungle shouting until he met him and told him the good news before he would believe it. Humanity has such peace available, has a bigger peace available in Jesus. Peace with God and peace with each other. The barrier that caused hostility between us and between us and God, that great wall called sin has been defeated and destroyed. Even being circumcised or not doesn't matter anymore. Some people today, many people today, don't know about the peace that Jesus is and made and taught. They still live in hostility, warring against God and warring against others. But not us. So as Christians, how do we view people who are different to us? Well, we treat them as if the differences are not that important. The things that previously divided us from each other are not worth making a fuss about. Physical differences, skin colour, cultural differences, religious, social, educational, wealth differences, they're real differences, but they just don't matter to us anymore. We only care about the peace that comes from Jesus. 
For most of last century, the rich and powerful in Melbourne were members of the Eugenics Society of Victoria. It only ended in the 60s. Eugenics means good genes. To them, differences between people mattered, and they mattered a lot. They saw themselves as superior and anyone different as inferior, so they waged war against the poor and the sick and migrants. They wanted to put them in camps, keep them separate from the good people, or to sterilise them so they couldn't make more of themselves, or as one person put it, to kindly euthanise them. They wanted to kill them. These were the elite of the British Empire, which had been dominant in world affairs for 300 years. But being dominant is not the same as being superior. The dominant people in the world is actually always changing. The British are now no longer dominant. It's the Americans for the last 100 years who've been dominant. Next will be China or India. But do you know who is likely to be the big group after that? The dominant people after them is likely to be Nigeria. In 50 years, Nigeria may dominate the world and dominate us. They may feel superior to the rest of us. One of our members from 11am is from Nigeria and he could be part of that superior race. Except he won't be one of the superior people, he'll just be one of the dominant people. There is only one human race. None are superior. In fact, the Bible teaches that all of us are inferior compared to what we should be. We are not worth keeping and we will soon be thrown away. As Christians, we should never look down on anyone. We should enjoy the differences between people because God obviously does. God could have created one flower in the world or one type of bird, but his delight is to create differences, to create thousands of different types. Every person is different from every other. The only difference that should matter to us is are they in Christ or not? Because that lets us know how to love them. In the last section of this passage, verses 19 to 22, Paul tells the result of Jesus and his peace. He says, consequently, and basically he says, consequently you belong. Paul tells them the result is that you belong with God and with God's people. You are no longer what you were, foreigners and strangers. Instead, you're fellow citizens with God's people. You're actually members of his household, members of his family. You belong with God. And Paul is very specific about what makes them belong. He's already said in the early part of the chapter that I covered last week that it was nothing they had done, no work they had achieved. He says here it is based on what the prophets wrote in the Old Testament and what the apostles are writing in the New Testament. It comes from the Bible, the whole Bible, which is all about Jesus. Jesus is the chief cornerstone on which everything is lined up, on which everything depends. 
Everyone who is in Jesus is united by him, joined together to become something very valuable, a temple for God. We are God's temple. Verse 22. In him you two are being built together and become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is not just for Jews, but for you too, you from other nations. God lives in us too by his spirit. Just a few details to note in this last section. Verse 18, through Jesus we both, meaning Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one spirit. No one has the inside running anymore. It's not about circumcision or about being a Jew or about not being a Jew. It's about Jesus for everyone. And note the language. Jesus, God's son, opened the way for God, the father, and we are taken there by God, his spirit. It's done by God, the three in one, by God, the son, father, and Holy Spirit. And in verse 22, it says, you two have God, the father, living in you by his spirit. Again, son, father, and Holy Spirit play their roles in our rescue, in our new status and our new life. In this whole passage, in Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, Paul is saying, remember where you were and now see where you are. Don't forget. Don't forget where you've come from, from how far you've come from or, from, or about who brought you. Paul wants to encourage them to sustain them with scripture by telling them delights of being a Christian. We Christians do not look down on anyone as inferior. We know we're all inferior, yet God loves us anyway. So we love others too. Someone said to me recently, but we're all racist, we can't help it. I said, yep, we're all naturally racist. But we have God living in us by spirit, so we can help it. Everyone else may be racist, bigoted, prejudiced, but not us. We know there's only one human race. We know we're all inferior, all deserving to be thrown away by God, and all can be rescued by him. For the Mungiki, violence defines them. In Christ, love defines us. We are so loved by God, Father, Son and Spirit. So we love God and we love his people and we even love those outside of Christ. Our love means we care. We care more about others than we do about ourselves. Even when it costs us, just like God loved us so much that it cost him so much. Whatever their nationality, whatever their colour skin, whether they have a foreskin or not, whether they wear undies or not, the only thing that matters is if they are in Christ and rescued by him. Paul loved the Ephesians. They all cried together when he left them for the final time. And Paul is writing them scriptures to sustain them when he is gone. Telling of the delights of being Christ, of being Christians. 
they have every blessing worth having already chapter 1 3 to 14 no need to grasp for anything in this world they have resurrection power running through them verses 15 to 23 of chapter 1 no need to worry even about death they have already gone from dead to alive raised seated with christ at god's side chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 and they have new life to live while they're still here physically and in this passage christians he says you have gone from being separated excluded foreigners far away without hope and without god and you have gone all the way to being included and belonging you are secure you are so secure because you belong to god you are in christ you belong to him and to his people it's hard to stop talking about such delights that come from being rescued by jesus let's pray these things for ourselves how about we pray together our father god thank you for sending your son to bring us close to you so we belong to you we belong with you on our own we were far away and deserved to be thrown even further away excluded from you and your people and the wonderful future you want for us but now we belong father we did not deserve jesus to rescue us but we're so grateful that he did help us to see people as you see them delight in their differences and think of ways to love them all in any way we can we ask this in your son's name amen